Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. My name is Eric Skorzynski. I'm Travis Chappell's producer. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the subject that probably has you with a pit in your stomach. It's keeping you awake at night. And when you're listening to podcasts like this and sneaking them throughout your eight-hour workday, your palms start getting a little bit sweaty. That's right. Today, we're going to be talking about quitting your nine-to-five. But not only that, we want to talk about the mindset that's going to help you survive after quitting your nine to five. And we've got three incredible motivational people to talk about it. First up is Ronsley Vaz. He is a fellow podcaster who runs the podcast conference. We are podcast and one of the largest audio marketing agencies in the world. He helps clients produce high quality marketing focused audio content. Next up is the incredible Jasmine Starr, who's an internationally recognized photographer and entrepreneur. She literally dropped out of law school to pursue photography and became a business strategist alongside the photography business. And last but not least is Jason Ferrugia. He has been doing group fitness training since the 90s. He was way ahead of the curve. And you may have seen his work in men's health, muscle and fitness, maximum fitness, men's fitness, fast company, Huffington Post, live strong, muscle and fitness, hers, shape, 
entrepreneur details or even on ESPN or CBS. He absolutely is crushing it uh, in his niche. And you want to hear from all three of these incredible guests as they share how they quit the nine to five and survived. You're not going to want to miss one second of this episode. Be sure to listen to the end. And if one thing helps you, be sure to take a screenshot and tag Travis on Instagram with the handle at Travis Chapel. All right, guys, let's get into the show. Most people just can't look past the failures, you know? Um, mm. It's just when when a lot of people will will hit that first wall, they won't break through that wall. It'll be enough to stop them. Do you think that that's something that you've learned or do you think that's just been something instinctual to where you're like, there's no way I could go back to working a nine to five. So I better figure this thing out or I'm just going to be homeless. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So we, we were in that position. So I know that position really extremely well. And I can actually empathize if anyone's in that position. We we were three days from not having a house or eviction notice and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not unfamiliar with being there. Mm-hmm. I do think that if I didn't have the right people around me, uh, irrespective of how you know strong-willed and massively awesome character I might have, which yeah. is total bullshit, by the way, uh, <laughs> is, is like, if you didn't have the right people around you, your character would could break because yeah. we tend we we tend to follow a pack. However, if we follow the pack that's always evolving and growing and challenging themselves and pushing, then ultimately we we try we find a way to level up and and having a variety of those examples around you with those kind of people is key because even at that pace you can't do that forever. You have to right. find a way to you know, find black balance again, come back to that. So people around you, man, like that, I cannot stress enough how important that is. So what's the mindset then? So you're three days away from losing your house. What, what, what is the mindset there? Like, because here, here, here's what my take is on that. And I think this is what most people would probably do in that situation. Like a week before they're in that situation, they'd be like, man, I'm not gonna be able to, you know, get out from under this. I'd better go get a job. Why didn't you? So don't get me wrong. I tr- I tried a lot of stuff in in that time. Mm-hmm. I think I had like five or six jobs in four months. So I'm wow. obviously not employable. Um, <laughs> and that was the first thing I did. Like I, as soon as so the backstory there is that I did service on a Saturday night. I had a restaurant, and on Sunday the locks were changed. And and I don't want to go into the details of how all that transpired, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to make a decision on whether you know I would fight it in court, and I thought that was too stressful yeah. for me to do that. And I didn't really, I didn't really feel like it to be honest. So I just left everything the way it was and walked away from that business. Hmm. But I had like four hundred seventy-eight thousand dollars in debt. So in that, so that happened on a Sunday morning. On Tuesday, I had a job uh, because it's not necessarily about. So uh, you have to, whether it's in business, whether it's your, whether it's a job, whether it's corporate, whatever it is, at the end of the day, you need money to sustain whatever life you yes. want to lead. Yes. And that is key. The key is not to kind of like sleep on a mat that is that 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 you can buy, if that makes sense. If that's a even a like a a thing, like buy the mat that you can sleep on that's exactly your size and don't try and live outside that until you can afford a bigger mat. Yeah. And as much as this great like mindset stuff where you can live in the future and visualize and all that kind of stuff, it's important not to not do the basics, in my opinion. So basics were 
make sure that there was money coming in and I didn't really succeed as I, mean, I didn't stick with the job, obviously, because mm, uh, I right. knew that I was uh, that was not for me. I knew that it was just not my thing. Right. I, I, mm. I could not I can't just keep doing that. So it was just a intermediate step, in, in my opinion. And I always knew that. I did take a break from jobs because I know, you know, I had five jobs in four months and I'm like, okay, maybe I take a break from going <laughs> just getting a job. <laughs> maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, um, but I, I love that insight though, because, um, I think a lot of people, especially now that, now that entrepreneurship is becoming like almost quote unquote cool, you know, it's like the thing to do now. And like people like Gary Vee have made it that way. Um, yeah. to where it's like this cool new thing. I think that a lot of people lose the practicality aspect of, you know, well, if I'm going to be a true entrepreneur, I better go quit my job as soon as I can type thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, let's get real practical here. Bottom line mm -hmm. is you need to make rent. Like you need to pay your mm -hmm. bills. You need to be able to mm -hmm. buy food for you and your family. If you have a family that you're providing for, like you need to do all of these things. So don't go like hog wild. Don't get crazy and be like, well, I'm an entrepreneur now. So that means nothing can ever be guaranteed. It's like, no, no, no. Do what works for you. And exactly what you're saying, like get the mat that works for you. Don't get anything more than that. But, um, as soon as you can afford to do it, then you make the jump. Then you make the switch. Once you can replace that income, then that's when I think people lose that level of practice. Would you agree with that? Yeah, because I mean, well, if it does, even if you take the time off and you land up creating a business and it does extremely well, there will come a time where your will and your values and in and your grit will be tested. And the best time to put that into practice is when you start off. Like today, I had a, a training session this morning at six o'clock and. Uh, my trainer said to me, so he's a table tennis trainer, by the way. Uh, so he said to me, he's like, he's like, so, you know, he was wanting to know the story. And I'm like, he's like, is this not too early for you? And I said, for the last four and a half years, I've woken up at 4.30 every single day. Mm -hmm. And he's like, why? Like, you know, and as I said, it's like you, you're training me. Once you train me for the, the strokes to become muscle memory, then when I'm playing the game, I don't have to think, oh, how am I striking the ball? It just comes, right? Right. So that's what happens when you can when you when you allow yourself to structure parts of your day to make sure that you're on flow. There's no other way to achieve that. That you have to include, you know, like these systems and structures and and the training is you know, people like you see why the why the sports some of the sports stars don't become massive sports stars because they hate their training and they don't go to training. Mm -hmm. It's the same with entrepreneurship. You look at the most successful entrepreneurs. They have that training that they do day in and day out, irrespective of whether something's burning or, you know, something's going up in smoke. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I feel. So, so what would you say would be like the key to all of this? Like what's the most important thing in seeing success long-term? Um, the right people. Again, it all comes down to, to who you hang out with. Like there's no better quote out there, I think, especially in entrepreneurship or in life generally is the, you know, the average of the five people you hang out with the most mm -hmm. is, yeah. is who you turn out to be. If you want to be fit, hang out with fit people. If you want to be rich, hang out with rich people. If you want to be successful, whatever that version of success looks like for you, uh, hang out with those kind of people that, you know, you want your life to be like, right. It's, it's really quite simple and success is, is very variable. It's like love. Some people feel like they're loving you in different ways and like like that success is different so don't let someone else dictate what success is like for you as well like don't 
let all the hype of you know working hard and the hustle or even the other way all the other way where the margaritas on the beach sort of <laughs> scenario right i think right. they you have your own ground like you have you, you have the freedom to dictate exactly how your life should look and what success looks like to you and, and make sure that you you do that and don't like let someone else dictate what that looks like so do you believe that uh, what you know or who you know is more important ronsley and why interesting i think that the general saying uh, it's not what you know it's who you know is flawed because it's what you know and who you know and uh, that that allows you to tell people why that is so important to you. So I think it's a combination and I feel like it's not one or the other. And again, there's no silver bullet. Like sometimes just knowing a bunch of people will help you on your path. And if you're willing to learn, you can learn on the job. Don't take that for granted though. Going in, being absolutely authentic and that's hard sometimes. You need people around you that will challenge stuff that you do. Like, cause we are amazing at making up justifications for our actions as human beings we we are we it comes it comes very naturally to us because we have to look at ourselves in the mirror but having the right people around you that challenge some of the things that you do and when you have an emotional reaction to something paying attention to that i think this journey is more how you can improve as a person than anything to do with money and business and uh, that kind of stuff i feel right. it's more about self-discovery and self-awareness that's such a such a fantastic insight is uh, I think a lot of people when they when they first dive into personal development podcasts audiobooks books whatever medium they choose to digest content from I think they're hoping that they'll hear something or read something that's just like a big go do this and you'll have success type thing and they're hoping to come across that so some people just become professional knowledge getters so to speak mm. and they never they never take action on stuff because they don't realize that personal development isn't to find that one thing that you can implement in your life personal development is about becoming the person that you need to become in order to take the actions that you need to take to make the things that you want to make happen happen i think they're looking for like this magic elixir or this magic pill to take instead of instead of really diving into personal development to to be like i'm not doing this for this immediate result i'm doing this to make myself better as a person to become the person that is capable of doing great things not to learn how to do great things is that does that make sense would you agree with that or no T totally i mean i think you can be a great swimmer by actually swimming not necessarily watching swimming every day on television and you can buy all the best dvds on how the strokes are supposed to work but if you actually don't jump into the pool and try that out there's no way that you'll know anything more than yeah. what's already in in books and in in other places that you find knowledge like mm -hmm, there's no right. shortage of information today i do think that there's a lack of execution and obviously like a lot of a lot of the entrepreneurs out there like gary in particular takes that and and makes sure that people understand what it's like just so that they're prepared like it's not it's not as glorified as everyone makes it out to be it's it's a it's a great life like entrepreneurship is a great life it's mm -hmm. just not a comfortable one yeah. And if for you, if greatness equals comfort, then, you know, entrepreneurship is not, but it's not like you're not for you because you're constantly being challenged. Like just yesterday, I had like just an example yesterday, right? Generally in life, I, there's a lot of shit that I make up justifications for. This is an example. If I had close people around me that some close person passed on, I would 
try that because I didn't know what to say. I would not say anything. I would not, you know, I, I didn't have, and everyone would go like, you know, just it's a death sort of people understand. Yesterday, one of my team members lost a father. I had no option. I had no, I could not hide that one. I could not hide and ignore that. So I had to get myself to a point where I could make the phone call. Mm. And I'm being very selfish, obviously, because I'm worrying more about what I'm going through rather than what she's going through. Mm. And I think that's a really good example of doing things that are difficult, but it's the right thing to do. It's also a really good example of how I have been making up justifications for all the other ones that I haven't made phone calls for in my lifetime yeah, and, and justifying that sort of and having a justification for that. So it's entirely up to you, the person. You can dictate how you want to live your life and what it looks like. And if you want to have all the information uh, that you possibly need to know exactly what you're doing, execution is the only way, only way. You dropped out of college? No, I finished school. I graduated with a 4.0 uh, magna cum laude, and I earned an academic scholarship to UCLA Law School. That's the school I dropped out of. Got it. I knew that I had read that you dropped out of something. Okay, so finished regular school. And was it like, did you finish with the business degree as well? I did. So business major, leveraged that into law school. And then in law school, you were like, yeah, screw this. <laughs> Basically, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Actually, I mean, I went and again, so much of like, I, you know, when I look back at this, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago, <clears throat> early on, because I had so little dependence and knowing of the world as like a first generation, I really was looking for permission. I didn't know it then, but I mm. spent the vast majority of my life looking for permission to do the thing that I wanted to do. And it's just like, well, I needed permission to go to college. And so in order to get the permission, you had to get good grades. And when you were in college, I needed the permission to pursue the thing that I wanted to do. And I had a professor who said, Hey, you don't have the chops for it. And so I didn't get her permission. And what I wish I could go back and tell me in college and in law school is the only person who will ever give yourself permission is you. Like the minute you're waiting for permission from somebody else to do the thing you feel you've been called to do, you are going to be wildly disappointed and desolate for the vast majority of your life. That's the thing I wish I can go back and tell myself then, tell myself now and tell anybody else who's listening. It's like permission comes only from you. And so I went to law school thinking I needed that to be the permission to pursue a socioeconomic advancement to get mm. my family, my dreams out of the barrio and into a different American dream. I wanted the white picket fence and I thought that, that my Juris Doctorate was going to get that for me. It wasn't until I realized that I was there, I was wildly unhappy. I was depressed. I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. But I just thought I looked around and everybody else was stressed, depressed, and overwhelmed. It's law school. Nobody's like, oh, this is like pink fairies and rainbows. Mm -hmm. so like, okay, this is what I do. And then my first year of law school, my mom had a relapse of brain cancer. She was diagnosed when I was a junior in college. Mm -hmm. And the doctors had said, you know, she's battled eight years. Her time had come. And that, that just shook everything. That just yeah. shook my entire life. Yeah. So I want to talk about that for sure. But let's go back to like that, the permission thing that you were saying. Why do you think it is that we feel like we need permission in order to be able to, be able to chase our dreams or accomplish our goals, maybe in a realm that we're not already familiar with? Why, why do you think that we default to asking others permission instead of giving ourselves permission? I can't answer for anybody who's listening. I can only answer for myself. And it isn't until I did the deep work and the heavy lifting to understand that I was looking for permission to be absolved from responsibility. So that if it didn't work out. I could mm. say, you know what? 
that's because like if Dr. Petrero had told me, it sounds like you hail from an immigrant family and I still pursued my English degree and I put out my book and it failed, I could say, you know what? It's because I didn't listen to her. It's because like she saw it and I would be looking for somebody else to take responsibility when the only responsibility, everything is a risk. Doing nothing is a risk. The biggest one. Absolutely. And we look for permission to mask responsibility. And now I'm saying every decision I make, good, bad, and ugly, it's on me. I don't need you to give me the permission because you might give me the permission and I fail. I might give myself the permission and I fail. Either way, permission is disguised as the lack of accountability. And now hmm, it feels so good to say the buck stops with me. The buck stops with me and the buck starts with me. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Exactly. That right there is the key, I think, Jasmine, because a lot of people want to take responsibility when things are going well, but then when they're going poorly, they want to blame it on everything else. And it's like, look, do one or the other. Either anything good that happens in your life, blame it on other people. Anything bad happens in your life, blame it on other people. But if you're going to, you can't just like pick and choose which things you're going to take responsibility for. You just have to like own everything in life. And there's such control and power that comes along with that. Even taking responsibility for things that are seemingly legitimately out of your control and taking responsibility and taking ownership behind those things. And um, just has always given me such a huge sense of control over like what's going on in my life. And if you're always just a victim of circumstances, then there's literally nothing that you can ever do to make your circumstances any better. So may as well just take radical responsibility and take control so that you can actually fix and change some things and move forward. 100. Are you going to drop your podcasting mic right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it, if it weren't on this awesome boom arm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're on the same page there. Taking responsibility, I think, 
is like top two or three things that every every person really should do, but every entrepreneur specifically, because there's so many pitfalls and there's so many obstacles and things that come along the, the path along the way that it would be so easy to blame on other things and blame on circumstances and just say, oh, you know, it was just a tough time in my life. I had some personal issues going on. So I, that was the reason why. We all have issues. Exactly. Difficult. Exactly. But tell me somebody who doesn't have disappointment. Tell me somebody who doesn't have failures on a daily basis. And I'm going to tell you there's somebody who's not successful. That's just how it goes. Exactly. Exactly. That's 100% something that I've been telling people a lot lately is like, show me somebody who's never, show me someone who's never failed and I'll show you someone who's never succeeded. You know, it's just like, it's just part of the process. And I think I think it stems from the fact that people fear the wrong thing. I think people fear failure and embarrassment more than they fear regret and more than they fear accomplishing, more than they fear not accomplishing their dreams and goals for their life. Because that to me is the ultimate form of fear, right? You know what? I would even take it one step further is the fact that many of us, which is why here's, this is where, where it was a block for me for so long, is that like, yeah, I had this nebulous idea of failure fear of failure, but it, it wasn't like I held on to it and they said, this is the thing that stopped me. What it was, was the fear of failure and having people see me in that way. I was unafraid to fall off a bike, but I was more afraid to fall off a bike in front of the neighborhood bullies. All of a sudden we start our businesses in the same thing. We're not afraid to do the thing we want to do. We're not afraid to test it. We're afraid to have other people see it, have an opinion, and then judge us on it. The minute I let it go, the minute I let judgment from other people who ain't paying my bills, who I don't know personally, and who are sitting in sweatpants on an overstuffed couch in the middle of nowhere, have an opinion on my business. Bye. You're not stopping me. (laughs) So was there a catalyst, like a certain point in your business where you were like, buck stops here. I can't keep listening to what people think about me. Or was it a gradual, slow process that happened over time? Because it's super easy to say it, right? But then the first time, because a lot of times it's not even just the person sitting on the couch in their sweatpants who has no bearing on your life. A lot of times it's the people that are closest to us that just don't understand what we're up to, right? Like family, close friends, you know, parents, people who just want to hang out or go to the bar and they're just like, oh, you're always working. You're always doing this. And it doesn't seem to be working out for you. You should get a real job. Like all those, the people in your life that are the most, the people that you would think would support you and everything that you are oftentimes the people that are nagging you to stop. And I don't think necessarily it's from like a point of jealousy or like, I wish I were doing what you're doing. But a lot of times it's from that genuine caring of like, I want the best for you. And I don't feel like what you're doing is best for you. How do you move past a lot of those things? I will say, I will say that I feel very fortunate to have parents who really, who loved us more than their opinions weighed. Having said that, they never said, why are you doing this? They never said you should stop. But I will say that when you hail as immigrants and then you have like a daughter who's just like, oh, hey, I want to drop at a law school and I want to become a photographer. I don't have a camera, but trust me. <laughs> you know, like I mean, anybody would be like, um, Miha, are you sure this is the thing you should be doing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like it, it was it, in every iteration of the business was like, oh, how are paying your bills going? And right. to this day, being a decade as an entrepreneur, my beautiful, sweet, amazing brother, who's about to be 30, comes to our house just last week. And my husband's like, yeah, I'm like, let's go out. Let's, let's hang out. I'll take you to the movies. We'll go to dinner. And he's like, oh, I know that you guys closed the photography studio a couple years ago. You know, money must be tight for you. So I got it. I got you. And we're like, we look around and we're like, we've never been this successful ever, homie. Like, <laughs> understand like 
internet, you know? <laughs> in the back of their mind, they're just like, they always feel like they're one step away from losing their house. Because here's another thing. I, as a child, watched my father lose our house three times over. That stuff is no joke. Right. That stuff will beat the core of your belief. So when you have a child who's not out there like focusing on like, dad, I have my retirement plan, my 401k, which I do, but like outside of the context of it coming from like a county job, right. it's really scary. So I take their opinions and like my in-laws are elementary school teachers. They are all about like their long-term plan. They're about their stipends or about like safety and fortitude. So I know that their questions come always from a really good place, but wildly misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. It is not my objective to educate you. It is not my objective to get you on my side. My success will silence your doubts. And thank Mm -hmm. you, sweet baby Jesus, a decade has been silent. So y'all can have opinions, but they can't stop me from doing what I do because I see a future that nobody else sees. That's what makes me a visionary. If you're a visionary and you see it, just shut your mouth and do the work. Let's talk uh, college then. What was the reason to go to college for you? I wanted to be, which is crazy because I was I was so quiet and insecure and shy. So it was, sounds delusional, but I wanted to get into broadcasting, like either have a show like Howard Stern, who I always listen to, hmm. or uh, become an anchor for ESPN. And then also I was into filmmaking. Like I, I made some films in college that got selected for uh, like national film festivals and stuff like that. But it was all stuff that looking back, I, I was like, and I was the shyest. Why, why would I have thought I could even do that? And then eventually, you know, I, I switched over to exercise science and started the business when I was in school. And by the time I was 20, 21, the business was blowing up. So really? Uh, that, yeah. What do you attribute that to? So I, I first started with, with a few adult clients who were friends of my parents. This is like, you're, so you're in college and you're just lifting a bunch and studying how to exercise better. And so you figure yeah, out I got, well, to I, some clients. During one semester, I got my first certification. I got really sick and I had to go home and take a semester off. So during that semester, I was able to get a certification and just read a ton of stuff, order VHS tapes back in the day. So immediately I started training. I started training adults. And I honestly don't know the reason because it wasn't like I was this charismatic guy who was so great to be around. And it wasn't like I knew a ton about business. It was kind of just dumb luck at the time. And then I did, you know, I saved up a ton of money and was able to invest in my own small space, which was literally in a basement. So it was underground, not just a marketing term, but <laughs> there I was able to create a really cool, unique environment and do something that was completely opposite of what was out there at the time. Like all you could do was go to Bally's or Gold's and do one-on-one personal training on machines. And I kind of was the first one to popularize all the odd object training, the rings, the sandbags, the sledgehammers, doing strongman mm. stuff outside, pushing cars, flipping tires. And I also, there was no such thing as group training back then. Like you can go to an aerobics class or you can do one-on-one training. Yeah. And it wasn't through a stroke of genius. It was kind of like, I got my first athlete. Within a month, he was getting unbelievable results. So he referred me a couple of his teammates. They all wanted to train together. So I just came up with, all right, this is way better. Let's train people in small groups. And then everyone I had all day from the adults to the athletes was in small groups. And nobody was really training athletes at the time either. So a few years into it, I had, you know, 50 to 70 high school, college, and eventually pro athletes coming to my place every day. And then these big multi-million dollar places would open, like 10,000 square foot sports performance places would open up later on. And they were like, how is this dude in a basement dominating? <laughs> yes. Every leading scorer, every leading rusher, every, you know, all his kids are getting scholarships. How is this kid dominating like this? It was just from being original and being unique. And again, creating that, you know, that, that atmosphere of the music we played and the, the record boards and all. I like think none of that existed back then. 
Yeah. So as soon as you started talking about the fact that you were in college, you started making some money. What came to my mind immediately is what most college students do when they start making some money. So t- tell me tell me why you were kind of the different... You had to have been different in your mindset than most college students because most college students, they come into a little bit of money and then they go drop it on bottle service with their friends on the weekends. What made you start like throwing it into savings, throwing it into savings and then eventually getting just, just like the nicest place you could afford, just a basement shack to start your exercise business in? What do you think that it was that made you look at money and behave that way at such a young age? Well, there's there's two completely opposite sides of this coin. So one was, at first, I was just loving what I was doing. And I, and I couldn't believe how fast the business was growing. And you know, when, you, when you're having success like that, it's addictive, right? And, and then it continues to snowball. And you're like, man, I want to push. I want to keep pushing. And you don't want to stop. So you know, on my 21st birthday, I was in bed at 930 because I had to get up and train people. And I worked from 19 to 28. So for 10 years, I mean, I barely went out. I barely did anything. Every dime went back into equipment for the gym. And then eventually, you know, and all throughout that time, it was, it was continuing education. And then eventually it was business education and then hiring people, you know, just learning all this stuff. And I was so focused on that. And then what had happened was at about 28, I was like, wow, I really didn't experience my 20s. I didn't experience college that much. I mean, don't get me wrong. We had fun times and whatnot, sure, uh, but not as much. And then I started going out all the time. I started partying all the time because I was like, man, I missed out on a lot of stuff. Because no, none of my other friends were making anywhere near as much money as I was. I was getting bottle service. I was going, let's go to Vegas and get the Hard Rock Suite. Let's go to Nobu. Yeah. And I'm paying for it all the time. And I had no one really in my life at the time saying, dude, slow down. Like, and so my friends joke around. Some of my friends used to call me MC Hammer back then because <laughs> I would go cash left and right. So much so that within just a few years, I had gone completely broke. Wow. And I was making a good six-figure income for years. So I went completely broke. I had to call my mom with tears in my eyes, ask her if I could move in with her for six months and you know get shit back together. You said so that was around age 28 that you started doing that? So at what time 31. were you? So 31, 31. I call okay. my mom. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So it was crazy. What, what were the biggest lessons you took away from that time? Well, obviously not do that again. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, with, within reason though, right? Because this is the conversation I feel like a lot of people have internally with themselves, right? Jason is like, like life is short. Do I want to spend my entire life working, 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 working? I don't know. But also I can't just go party all the time because I have to be productive and I need to make a living. And I, and, I, and I do have goals that are above and beyond what other people's goals are. So, which means I should probably be working more than other people are working. But at the same time, I do want to have fun, right? So like, where, where's the balance? Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's, it's for so many years, I was at one extreme. Then I was at the other extreme. Yeah. So, you know, it's always hard to find the balance, right? Everyone is trying to find that balance. It's more like if you can have work-life integration maybe and just be you know, more productive and, and get more stuff done in less time. And then figure out, you know, like for nowadays, for example, one of the greatest compliments people can give me is when they get to know me and, and you know, colleagues and peers say, man, you know, it's, it's so, super cool to see the success that you have, but you don't grind your face off 24-7 like, and you have a better social life and better circle of friends than anyone I know. And that's really what I'm most proud of because all during those years, I really didn't. During high school, college, I never had really super close friends. I never felt like I belonged. Even when I'm running the gym for all those years and it's super successful, I had a great rapport and relationship with all my clients. But come Saturday night, who was I really hanging out with? A, a sure. lot. And, you know, I take all the blame for that. That's my responsibility. 
But it wasn't until years later where I realized, man, there's so many things I got to fix about how I'm living. I can't go one extreme to the other. And then, and then I realized too, you know, like, like Tony Robbins had, had spoken about when you confuse achievement for fulfillment. So I was like, hmm. and I'm just chasing these financial goals and I'm just working all the time that I'm not really fulfilled. I'm not really happy. I don't have great relationships and I don't have kind of balance and rules for my life. It was just too, too much out of control. And then, and then I just realized the value of relationships and how important that is. So I spent years kind of working on myself and working on that. Yeah. So at age 31, you kind of had to reinvent yourself, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. When you say go broke, did that just mean you ran out of money in your bank account or did you lose the gym and stuff too? Well, the gym got sold. So, so the building we were in, everybody was notified. The building was sold and we had something like six to nine months to find a new place. And it was in Jersey because you had to get a recreational use variance. It was really hard to find that. You had to get a lawyer, you had to go before a board. You know, wow. If I wanted to stay in my area that was close enough for my clients to drive to. Yeah. Uh, eventually, it just didn't pan out. Long story short, I, was, I had to close the gym down. So I moved into New York and I was training clients there. I was starting my online business. Uh, I was doing 50 things at once. And I was also going out because it was the first time I didn't have to be at the gym 12 hours a day for mm. uh, six days a week. Yeah. So I was going out seven nights a week in the city. And that was how I ended up you know, kind of blowing all my money. Uh, now I forgot the question. I'm just kind of on a rant here. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, yeah. So I was just kind of asking like the next steps for you. So after that, after you didn't end up having the gym anymore and ended up losing money and then calling your mom back up and saying like, Hey, I got to, I got to crash on the couch for a bit. Tell me next steps after that. What were like the big things that you were trying to work on at that point? Did it start internal? Like at that point where you're like, man, I, I, I gotta, I gotta fix what's going on on the inside before, you know, cause obviously these achievements aren't doing anything to fulfill me. No, I, at that point at 31, I, I didn't have the realization yet. At that point it was just like, all right, I need money. I got to make money here. So hmm. I had started selling stuff. I started online in 2001. Okay. And I built up a really popular blog and I was in every magazine and I had started self-publishing and selling stuff in 2003, long before anyone did it. And it was, it was going well, better than I thought. And then when I was 31, Men's Fitness did a one-page article on me and a link to the site. And all of a sudden, for the next six weeks, which that would never happen today, but for six weeks, I was selling enough to be on a pace to make six, six figures. And I was like, wow, there's something to this. Hmm. So... I said, all right, let me really buy whatever courses were available at the time. Let me figure out really how to optimize this online stuff and go hard with this because during that time, I didn't have the gym. My friend had opened up a gym, so I was training a lot of my people there. But my schedule was you know, maybe 60 70% of what it used to be. So I had a lot of time to dedicate to digital marketing and figuring all that out. I think by that summer, about you know, maybe four to six months after living with my mom, I launched a product made 25,000 the first three days selling. I was like, okay, this is, this is what we got to do here. Wow. So I went really all in on that. And then for the next, you know, since then I've been continually building that ever since day one, that that's done really well. You know, that, that three day sale we had, and then it's just been onward and upward. Not that there haven't been struggles and lulls and ups and downs. Since sure. then, that was kind of the thing. And it wasn't really until, again, that was going well. I reopened the gym and it was when I was 30, 738 that I really did the deep dive. I'm 45 now. So 31, I was broke, rebuilt the business, but it was still five, six, seven years later. And so I really was like, man, I got to get out of Jersey. I go reinvent myself. I got to get out of these same environments that are triggering the same old behaviors. I, mm. I just kind of, you know, had this awakening. There's a lot of stuff wrong internally that I want to fix. Especially someone like you, who's, you know, obviously 
made an entire living off of improving yourself and off of helping other people improve themselves, but in a completely different area. How important was it to you to start really working on the stuff that people couldn't see that you needed to improve? Like, was that a difficult process for you? Or was it very much like, you know what, I've been down this road before physically. Now I just have to change it into this other realm. It wasn't really difficult. It was just, it, it sounds so weird to say, but it, but for 30 I don't know, four or five years, whatever it was, I really barely ever thought about personal development. I, I guess mm. I quote unquote didn't even have the time. It was just like, let's uh, let's just you know, I'm working yeah. all the time. Let's build a business. Let's, let's do uh, do do. Yeah, yeah, right. And, um, so so I kind of just had this awakening and started reading certain books and going to certain events and getting around the right people. And I was like, wow, I got to make massive changes. So I just embarked on this journey. I said, I, I got to move to the other side of the country. Read you know countless books on it. Just that became my thing. So it was. For the next few years, I was like, all right, let's back off of the, the training study. Let's back off of the business study. Let's just do all this kind of stuff. This is first and foremost and push myself out of my comfort zone and you know, push through the roadblocks and hold me back, get out there, prioritize relationships above all else. And um, you know, so, so, so that was kind of a journey. It obviously, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not linear progression. You have your ups and downs and you fall back. But that's been the journey for nine, 10 years now since we moved to Cali. And it's funny because now people know me as the super connector and as the person who you know knows more people than anybody else. And I speak about it on stages worldwide about building relationships and stuff like that. It's, you'd never think that I would be the guy to do that. I'd be the last guy to do that. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.